Hello, educators. Welcome to Classroom Conversations, the platform for Georgia's teachers. Classroom Conversations is a joint presentation of the Georgia Department of Education and Georgia Public Broadcasting. I'm your host, Ashley Mingwasser, although finally I get to use my nickname in the right context. Today, just call me Ash Money. That's S with the dollar sign, by the way. Money. Is it some sought-after, oft-elusive thing or an acquired skill? Either way, financial literacy requires discipline. So much so, economics and personal finance has become a focus of its own within Georgia's K-12 social studies classrooms. Things are about to get personal in this studio as we discuss personal finance. With me in studio are two educator experts on the subject, both winners I totally bet on. Craig Ellis teaches economics at Oconee County High School. Craig and his students reign as personal finance challenge state champions. And representing financial education in the elementary school scene is Sherry Anthony, gifted teacher at L.K. Moss Elementary in Marion County. Sherry is a stock market game winner. Welcome, champions, Craig and Sherry. Hi. How are you? Great. Great. How are you? I'm great. I have never been surrounded by so much talent on one episode. What grades do you guys teach? We'll start with you, Sherry. Um, This year, I'm teaching fifth grade gifted students. Fifth grade gifted. Craig? Teach mainly seniors economics and uh, ninth graders government. The older kids, as we'll say. What is the stock market game that you won, Sherry? The stock market game is sponsored through the Georgia Council of Economic Education, and we compete with other teams across the state. Um, Children are given, they're they're put into teams, and they have $100,000 of virtual money that they get to invest in stocks. 100 Gs. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you guys won locally? We've won locally. We've won congressional district. And we've also won state twice. Incredible. So the objective is to see how much you can do with your virtual 100000 How much profit they can make, the All earnings. Right. What were, what were the earnings when your state champion team won? Um, one of them won 100. We started off with 100000 and we turned it into 149000 in 10 weeks. Although my students are gifted, they're participating in a program that's open to all students. Um, any, any classroom in my entire school can teach the stock market game and participate in our high school, middle school do do that from time to time, too. So it's not just for gifted kids. It's for everybody. Homeschool, classrooms, anybody's welcome to participate. All right. Craig, what is the personal finance challenge that you and your students won? Yeah, so the personal finance challenge is a uh, starts with some multiple choice questions. And once you score high enough on that, uh, your team is given a case study of a family. And they um, have some time to study this case study and have to present to a group of personal finance industry people uh, things that the family's doing well, uh, things they could improve upon, uh, and some things they could, you know, look to do better in the future uh, so they could have a brighter financial future. All right. Like real financial advisors looking at a portfolio. Yes, more or less. Very nice. How did you get into the teaching profession, particularly in the economics arena? Um. As far as economics goes, just my first year teaching, I, I was given an economics class, and uh, I kind of got to where I really enjoyed it. And from there, a lot of people didn't want to teach economics, so I got to teach pretty much all the economics classes. But you have a background in banking, Craig. Uh, sort of. I mean, when I was in college, I did work at a bank uh, for a few years, and uh, that did help when it came to teaching economics, yes. So why did you become a teacher in the first place? Um so I originally did not want to be a teacher. Uh, my parents were teachers, and that was kind of the last thing I wanted to do. Uh, <laughs> but uh, 
I was taking a history class in college and I was listening to the professor and I just remembered how much I enjoyed history and I thought I want to teach that. So once I started teaching, I taught a history class and I realized I enjoyed learning history, not teaching history. Uh, But I did have a passion for teaching economics. I learned really fast. So here you are, passion and purpose combined. Sherry, what brought you into the teaching profession? I originally worked in the human resources area for a company for a number of years, and my job was phased over to another state, and I could not relocate, so I took some time off and stayed at home. But I always had a love of school. Ah. I loved going to school. I enjoyed going to college, and I wanted to just share that love with others. So I'm sitting around one day, and I'm like, I need to go back to school and get my teaching degree. And the rest is history. So here you are. Here I am. Why Love economics it. and personal finance for the elementary years? Well, I picked up the gifted class, and they said, teach them something different. And it seemed like the economics was an uncharted territory. Yeah. The stock market, stock market game was, was brand new. It's actually new to our area. Families are not even familiar with it, really, in our area. And so I... I Got in touch with uh, Chris through the Georgia Council of Economic Education. He got me started in it. They're full of resources, and we we it picked up, and it, it caught on through the school. I mean, I have other students coming in and say, hey, I want to play a stock market game with you guys. Oh, the culture of that just mm-hmm. caught on. Mm-hmm. The word stock market as a mid-30s-something give me both excitement and trepidation. So I can't imagine how that feels as an elementary schooler. Yeah. But they probably think it's cool. They do. They learn about it in their other class through the Great Depression. Oh, and, yeah. And the... Um, the stock market crash, and then we take it further with the stock market game and how that crash actually occurred and how you could get out of it. So they were very intrigued by it. And then they actually said, well, now we're doing stock market, just like what happened in history. You two are the experts here. Would you tell me, I'm going to offer up some financial pointers, if these are either on the money or if they come up short. You ready, Craig? I'm ready. You guys can just jump in. You too, Sherry, whenever you like. Here's the first one. Thinking about and saving for retirement is for your 20s and beyond. I think that's all the money, but it could start even earlier. Yeah, that's what I was thinking earlier, too. Earlier than your 20s. No later. I would say no later than your 20s, you know, to be successful. You want to retire or build up that financial acumen. Yeah. Yeah. As soon as you can and get it going. No later than your 20s is a Mm -hmm. a good spin on it, but Mm -hmm. that it could start earlier helps me out. Yeah, if, you, if you're willing to start earlier, um, one of the things I like to do with my students is show them like a compound interest calculator. Right, if you're exactly. just saving a little bit of money now, see how much money that can grow. And the younger you start, the, the longer period of time you have for that money to grow. So if you're willing to start early, you can it's, it, you can really build up a lot of money. It compounds. Got you. Um, here's another one comparing debit and credit. Debit is safer than credit. Credit is dangerous. Whoa. Any thoughts? Credit can be good if you use it wisely. You have to be taught how to use credit. Credit cannot just be given to someone without some sort of training or background into it. It can be very dangerous if you're just given credit. And that's what I tell my children. Um, you can have credit, but you've got to know how to use credit. Right. Be credit can be wielded with it. Mm-hmm. like a tool. Uh, one of my favorite answers, it depends. <laughs> um, it, 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 not everybody's suited well for credit, but uh, ask the person who's had a hard time getting their um, – bank to help them when their debit card number got stolen. Uh, so credit can have a, a, as far as credit cards, I should say, right. could have a particular place for certain things. Um, so it kind of depends. Absolutely. How about this one? You don't need a checking account until you have a job. <laughs> you laughed at that one. Mm. He scoffed, I think. What do you think? Old school me says uh, you don't, but maybe today with uh, financial apps and things like that, maybe you can to some extent get away with that. 
Yeah. Uh, but I, I think you need to have a relationship with a bank or a credit union. I think that helps uh, down the road if you're eventually looking to get a you know mortgage or you're looking to get other loans. Having that relationship with a credit union or a bank can play, pay big dividends. Yeah, that, to build that relationship is important. I never thought of that. Do I have a good relationship with my bank? Now I'm asking myself a lot of questions. How about this one? You need a lot of money if you want to start investing. No, not at all. No? No. No. You can start with how much? You can start with less than $100. Oh, my gosh. Mind-blowing. And one last one. You should never touch savings money. I think that depends on your circumstance or what's going on. Yeah. But we have this kind of image in our mind that savings is off limits. It's meant to sit there and do nothing. But sometimes it is for something. It should be used, right? I think it's what depends what you're saving for. Ah, Is this money? mm -hmm. Because I think we say saving sometimes we're talking about investing for 40 years down the road for our retirement, which is that's the money you don't want to touch. If you're talking about savings as far as your emergency fund, yeah, you want to touch it when you are in emergency and you need it. So it depends on what that savings is for exactly. Yeah, you've got to have a game plan for your savings. There you go. Have an applied purpose for the money. Well, that makes perfect sense. You guys, I was an English major, but all of my friends in college were econ majors. And I came to econ vicariously through their class textbook, Freakonomics. They were looking in the book at things like naming data and popularity. Are you exploring any of these kind of trends in your classrooms with your students? Are your students aware of any trends? around economics at such a young age? My students have learned um, trends as far as what's hot and what's not. Also with the seasons, they've learned the trends at Christmas time, in the springtime, they've learned to follow those. They they follow trends on what their friends like, what their families like, what's going on on television is a big influence, what's going on on social media is a big influence and how it will affect economics. Right. So the trends and the customs of the time, we may not even know there's a pattern to them, but later we can look back and see. So you're teaching your students now to be aware of things yeah, as and, they're happening. Yeah, and to record everything. Oh, that's smart. So and that's how they back. find those trends, depending on the time of the year, the, the hour of the day, that type of thing. Fascinating. Anything to add to that? Yeah, speaking of trends, I, I've been asked several times this year by students, hey, Mr. Ellis, I saw this on TikTok. Is <laughs> it true? Uh, so there's some <laughs> trends out there, you know, as far as things, places that uh, students might go to get information that we would have never have thought about going to. Right. And sometimes uh, not knowing if they need to take that as trustworthy information or not trustworthy information. Right. Helping them see whether those sites are reputable, those sources. What personal finance practices do each of you embrace daily? Can you think of one, Sherry? What's one thing you do every day? I, I just constantly watch my money. I think about ahead of time what I'm going to spend, what I'm going to save, um, what my necessities are. If I'm going to splurge, I, look, I stop and think, you know, is, 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 am I where I can splurge? Is it time for me to splurge or not splurge? You know, but I'm just always aware of, of my money and how I'm spending. Yes. And one thing you said that I found very interesting is you don't spend without thinking of the flip side of that coin, pun intended, which is how do I replace that money mm-hmm. I just spent, mm-hmm. which is fascinating. I don't think like that. I'm going to start, Sherry. What about you, Craig? What's a personal finance practice you embrace? Um, overall, I'm pretty frugal kind of guy. Um, no. But I do, I, I, I'm pretty good at the whole pay yourself first. Uh, I'm pretty disciplined with that as far as as soon as I get my paycheck, I have my money that goes automatically into my Roth IRA and 
my, my daughter's 529 plans and taking care of my life insurance and all that kind of stuff. So I'm pretty good about the pay yourself first. That's good. That's I think that's a mantra that people forget. I like that very much. Well, shall we delve into the depths of this discipline, economics and personal finance, or EPF, for today's conversation? In your presence, I'm aware that I need to budget our time wisely. So I'm going to get started. The standards for social studies and K-12 include standards for economics and personal finance today. I'll call it EPF. When teaching personal finance and secondary education, what skills do you teach? Craig? Uh, I would say probably critical thinking skills to some extent. I mean, uh, we're talking about personal finance. A lot of it is, and when I say critical, making good, wise, personal decisions. Um, looking at, you know, costs and benefits. Um, mm. it, it, when you're talking about, I'm glad you said economics, personal finance, because I feel like you really can't separate those two out. Um, we're looking at economic concepts like scarcity and opportunity costs and marginal analysis, thinking about, you know, do I lo- do a little bit more of this? Do I a little bit more of that? And what am I giving up? I, I think, you know, looking at those incremental decisions, making decisions incrementally uh, and, and looking at kind of the big picture of what am I giving up when I do something? Yeah. What about you, Sherry? What are you teaching at the elementary the, level? The same thing as, as Craig had just mentioned, but also we teach supply and demand. That's really big. Um, we Actually, I have to go back. I take where my students are and I go back and we talk about how money works to begin with. Mm-hmm. Uh, the younger children, the elementary age, really does, they don't have a good concept of what money is, what cash is. They just know everything's on a plastic card. Oh, that's right. And it's always going to be there. If you want it, you just get out that plastic card and you go buy it. <laughs> so magic. they have no concept of that. So I start at that point and we work backwards. Yes. We start with the card and how the bank how it goes through the bank, how the money is earned and gets to the bank. So we start very basic and we build it back up. How money moves. Right. Money movement. And you guys were kind of hinting at this, I think, that, you know, the way that your students think of money is very much informed by the community that they live mm-hmm. in, how they grew up, the messages implied and direct that they're receiving around money and their upbringing. That's right. um, so what are you sensing from your students? You just told us a bit about kind of what their cognitive level is. But is there an expectation of like wealth and money's just always there or is there an expectation of scarcity? They think my, my children think money is always going to be there. Yeah. And, and I think that's why they have um, some difficulty with history sometimes. They, they don't understand why. Why was there ever a time when there was not money? Mm. Why was there a time when the stock market crashed? Those type of things. Um, why was there a time we had to talk about taxation and things like that? So you have to really back them up a lot. They really think money's going to always be there. Through the stock market game, they have learned your money is not always going to be there and how easy it can go away. Exactly right. And I know for you, Craig, a big part of it is just kind of embracing wherever students are on their journey, um, wherever family they come from, whatever they've learned about money, and really imparting a message of hope to them. Tell me about that. Yeah, I mean, so I just have a wide range. Some students who kind of think money will always be there because it comes on a permanent gift from their parents, maybe, or students who all of a sudden then their senior in high school are having to work for everything, you know, so they can have money to do all the little extra stuff. So, but helping those students realize that even if your family doesn't have a lot, uh, if you can start early to young age, or if you're willing to save a little money, set a little money aside, that there's hope for you to build up wealth and over the long haul. Yeah. Why is it important for students in all grades to learn about economics and personal finance? One, to be an informed citizen. So when um, you're hearing things about inflation or you're hearing things about the unemployment rate or you're hearing things about, you know, 
the debt ceiling or something like that, you have some understanding kind of what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can take the information you're given and and run that through your own head and make a better decision about how that might affect you or how it might affect you as a voter or whatever it might be. Yeah, it helps them to become a much productive citizen in their environment if they have a part in it rather than just sitting back taking all the time. They can be productive and help provide. And it doesn't have to be in a big way. Instead of being on the fringe. Well, what is your favorite EPF lesson to teach students? That's the first part of my question. And then what do you say is the topic that engages them most or garners the most interest? What would you say? Uh, One of my favorite lessons I do is uh, we talk about inflation. I give all the students some beans. Uh, We have a class auction. So auction off, like I'll have some candy auction off and some bonus points. Uh, We give all the beans out and auction everything off. And and all of a sudden uh, I'll asking if I want some more beans, and I'll pass out more beans. So we cause inflation. Uh, my students, it's one of my favorite lessons because it really demonstrates uh, inflation, how it drives down your you know, buying power of your dollar and mm-hmm. all sorts of things like that. And the students really get into it. And that's one of my favorite things because it's kind of hands-on and they're really getting excited. Very demonstrative. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And do they like that as well? What's their favorite to learn? I mean, they, they enjoy that activity. But I think, you know, the beauty about uh, economics in the high school is they've had some other classes, and it, it seems more relevant to them, mm-hmm. uh, the economics and personal finance part. So I think overall, uh, most of the economics part, but probably more so the economic, I mean, the uh, personal finance issue of it. How about for you, Sherry? One of one of the um, lessons that my students enjoy each year that I teach it is we do a lesson with candy bars, and I'll bring in a variety of candy bars, and I'll only, it's, it's a supply and demand lesson. And they all have um, fake money. They get a few dollars of, of one, they get a few, small stack of $1 bills. And I'll break out some candy bars and they can purchase a candy bar. And I usually will start off with something that they don't like, such as dark chocolate. What? And Wait till they get older. The candy bars are, but well, they don't like it when they're that young. No. The candy bar will be a dollar a piece. They all sit there. They know there's more candy bars in the bag, so they wait to see what else I bring out. <laughs> so then I'll bring out just a solid milk chocolate bar. And I might have one or two give up a dollar to buy that. And then we slowly build up until it's something they like, peanut butter cups. Oh, Oh, yeah. Well, peanut butter cups are not a dollar. Peanut butter cups are $3. Yes. And so some of them put their money back in their pocket, and they're like, nope, I'm not giving up $3. You know, (laughs) and some of them, oh, yeah, I'll take two of them. Here's $6, you know. And then at the end, I'll bring out something that they really, really like. Well, the ones that opted for the $3 peanut butter cup no longer have the money for what they really do like, and they're wanting to trade and barter, and it it can go on and on and on, but they love it. That sounds really fun. I think you both approach this in a very immersive way. What tips do you have for teachers to design their own economics and personal finance lessons to make the content relevant to their students? I tell teachers to take, you know, something in their own life and turn it into a lesson, a shopping event or something that a sale or anything, just something that catches your attention in your life. You can turn around and reteach that to your students. That's really interesting. Good tip, Sherry. What do you say, Craig? I always tell my students that the only thing I'm an expert on is myself. And so good or bad, I try to share experiences that I've had because I think they one, they realize you're being honest and genuine, that you might not be perfect. Uh, and I think might that really does be. Re- are definitely not perfect. <laughs> uh, I think that really resonates with them. Yeah. They, they see you as, you know, as, hey, I can relate to this person, their their faults, and they've learned from this. And I always exactly. try to, hey, I did this well, or I didn't do this well. And I think that really does resonate with them. Yeah. Well, how do you champion learning this subject within your community with parents, do you leverage relationships with local businesses? How do you engage others to make this bigger than just the classroom lesson? 
I have classroom speakers come in. Usually I'll get somebody from one of our local banks to come in and talk to the students. Oh. And they they always provide information that's new to me as well, too. So they, they love that. They love to have a speaker, and the people from the bank love to come in and talk. We've made trips to the local grocery stores, and children have been able to bring their own money in, and they have to calculate their own change when they make their exchanges for those purchases and things like that. So it, it does tie in the community. And I know you're rather a celebrity in your town, Sherry. People mm. come up to you in the grocery store knowing oh. that you've won the stock market game. People ask me all the time, can I invest some money for them? <laughs> can my students invest money for them? And I'll let them know really quick that might not be a good idea. You know? Right. You're like, and for me, that's the law of diminishing returns. No, thank you. Um, how do you champion it with your school community? Most of mine is just encouraging stuff that we do beyond just the classroom. Now, we do the stock market game, which is in the classroom, but we also participate in the Georgia Personal Finance Challenge and the Econ Challenge, which is a different, one's more personal finance related, one's more Econ Challenge, just to give students a chance to do other things other than, you know, things we do in the classroom. Outside that specific lesson. Well, if your students could just take one concept away from your class, what would you want that to be? Any thoughts on that? To save for their future. And how easy it is to save for their future. It doesn't mean they have to give up everything. Yeah. My students think, well, I don't want to save because there's there's shoes I want to buy. There's this I want to buy. I want to go see this movie. Well, you can still do those things and you can save. That's right. It's just a a balance. Yeah, balance Mm -hmm. and making it a habit, an Mm -hmm. intentional practice. If I was going to add that and just remembering that everything has a cost. Mm -hmm. I think Sherry mentioned earlier, I could do this with my money, but what am I giving up? And that's... I think sometimes we, especially students, have a hard time thinking about what am I giving up by using my time or using my money to do this that I could do other things that maybe benefit me more. Uh, But kind of thinking on that, some of that's the the cost you can see and some of that's the cost that's not always clear. Right. Or the unintended cost. Uh, I like that you included time in that because we know time is so valuable too, Craig. Well, what do you guys want to offer up to our educators as your most helpful free resources that you use in your classrooms to promote EPF learning in theirs, whether we've got games, competitions that you've mentioned, other things like that? The um, Georgia Department of Education has just a ton of resources under their social studies standards for teachers. And I'm not sure if everybody goes in there and looks at those. No, DOE plug. Well, yeah, I mean, there, there are videos, there's lesson plans, there's resources, there's tons of information. Besides that, there's also the Federal Reserve Bank. Contact any of those. They will send you tons of resources. They will be glad to do that. They also do field trips. The one in Atlanta did a field trip for me. My kids loved it. Oh, really? We even set the alarm off when we went to the Federal Reserve Bank. So that was memorable. Um, (laughs) The Georgia Council of Economic Education, they want you to contact them. They want to come to you. They want to provide resources, too. So there's a ton of resources. All you have to do is ask. Oh, I love that. I can just see the headlines now, Sherry. Elementary students rob Atlanta Fed. Oh, yeah. We were were frozen there for a moment. (laughs) Frozen in time. What would you like to share with teachers? Yeah, I'll piggyback on one thing that Sherry said. If you're if you're a high school economics teacher and you don't know about the Georgia Council on Economic Education, like I don't know how you function and really benefit your students. Uh, they do an amazing amount of stuff to help teachers find creative and engaging ways to teach economics that pay huge dividends because it gets students involved. Uh, there's also a couple of things that have been partnered with GPB, uh, the Econ Express. There's some stuff you can pull online as different topics and stuff like that. And they have a game called Lights, Camera, Budget, uh-huh. uh, where it's tied into the movie industry. Um, you get to plan out a movie, but you earn money to 
budget your movie by answering personal finance questions. Oh, fascinating. I like that. I know what I'll be doing this weekend, Craig. Thank you so much. I appreciate you both being here today, Sherry, Craig. Thank you very much. I enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you. You have taught us that it is not about the almighty dollar, but the dollar mightily applied. Phineas Taylor Barnum, you know him, P.T. Barnum, the co-founder of Barnum & Bailey Circus. Been to a few of those. He said this, money is a terrible master, but an excellent servant. There's good reason to put real stock in teaching economics and personal finance in our schools. Money talks and finance tools learned young prime students for a boundless life, just like the investment you make in your students daily, because you're a great teacher. Here at the Classroom Conversations ATM, you'll be eligible for another withdrawal next week when a brand new episode clears. In the meantime, just keep it 100. Spend your teaching time and your money wisely for Craig and Sherry. Bye for now. Funding for Classroom Conversations is made possible through the School Climate Transformation Grant. 